Now that you are comfortably seated, let's stand and uh, let's read this word together uh, out loud this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 3 through 5. We're going to read this together out loud. For this is God's will, your sanctification, as you keep away from sexual immorality, that each of you knows how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not with lustful passions like the Gentiles who don't know God. Father God, we ask now that uh, you would speak, and uh, Father, that your Holy Spirit would penetrate our hearts and minds. Father, that you would open our eyes to the wonderful things in your word. Father, we need to hear from you. We need these words to come alive in our lives, in our minds, in our marriages, in our relationships, in our choices that we make every moment of the day. God, I pray that we would receive what you have for us this morning and that we would apply it in our lives this day and this week. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. One of the misunderstandings that people have about God is they believe God's greatest desire is for their happiness. These people do whatever makes them happy thinking that God is okay with them and whatever it is they're doing because after all God wants them to be happy. These people do what they want, when they want, the way they want, who they want. These people react very strongly to anyone who disagrees with them or tells them differently because whatever makes them happy is right for them. The problem with this thinking is clear, and that problem is, is wrong. Holiness is God's desire for us, not happiness. Holiness actually leads to happiness for us as followers of Jesus Christ. And we are reminded of this reality, of this truth in our passage today. So I want to invite you to open your Bibles with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. As we learned last Sunday, chapter 4 marks the start of Paul's practical instructions to the believers in the church in Thessalonica. In chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, which we covered in depth last Sunday, Paul said, Additionally then, brothers and sisters, we ask and encourage you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received instruction from on us on how you should live and please God as you are doing, do this even more. For you know what commands we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Paul reminded the believers of the truth, the instructions that they received from he, Silas, and Timothy when they were with them in Thessalonica. Paul, Silas, and Timothy taught these believers how to live and please God. Paul here at the beginning of chapter 4 encouraged these believers because they were doing it. They were living and pleasing God. 
Paul then challenged these believers who were living and pleasing God to do this even more, to abound, excel, and overflow more and more in living and pleasing God. Paul taught these believers they are able to live and please God as they pursue and obey God by their faith in God. We today are able to live and please God as we pursue and obey God by our faith in God. We know as Christ followers that without faith it is impossible for us to please God. We also know we demonstrate our faith in God by our obedience to God. Paul, Silas, and Timothy taught the believers in Thessalonica in and through the Lord Jesus. As Paul shared here in verses 1 and 2. They shared God's commands and instructions with the believers in Thessalonica, not their commands and instructions. They were speaking and preaching and teaching and writing in the authority of Jesus, not their own authority. And I think it's important to note, I think it's interesting to note, I think it's very instructive for us to note that the first truth God led Paul to teach the Thessalonian believers in chapter 4 focused on their need for holiness their need for holiness A.W. Tozier prominent Bible scholar and author years ago said this you cannot study the Bible diligently and earnestly without being struck by an obvious fact the whole matter of, the whole matter of personal holiness is highly important to God holiness is important to God Holiness was important to Paul, Silas, and Timothy. They prayed for these believers in Thessalonica to live holy lives at the end of chapter 3, and then they taught these believers how to live holy lives at the beginning of chapter 4. Holiness should be important to us today as followers of Jesus Christ. This truth should be vitally important to you and to me. So let's look real quick at three truths about holiness as we get ready to move into this passage. These truths about holiness will help guide us as we make our way, quite honestly, this week and the next week or two as we talk about this topic in this passage. Truth number one, God is a holy God. God is pure. God is perfect. God is completely set apart from sin, immorality, and any and all impurity. God is not tempted by sin, nor does God tempt anyone to sin, because God is our perfect and holy God. The second truth that we know is God wants us to live holy lives. Augustine, the early church father and theologian, says that the acts of the offspring indicate similarity to the father. And we know Paul agreed with this. He made this point clear in verse 7, which we've not made our way to and we won't for a couple of weeks. But Paul said, for God has not called us to impurity but to live in holiness. Notice, God has not called us to impurity, but to live in holiness. So since God is a holy God, he, we know he wants us to live holy lives. The problem we have with this is we have a problem with this called sin. You see, we can't be holy like God is holy, and we can't be perfect like God is perfect because we're sinners, and our sin separates us from God. We have all said, thought, and done things that are unpleasing to God and against God in the truth of God's word. Paul quoted the psalmist, and Paul said, There is no one righteous, no, not one. 
We have all turned away from God to ourselves. We have all turned from God's way to our way, God's will to our will, God's wants to our wants. The good news of God's word, the good news of the gospel is God sent Jesus to rescue us from our sins and to open the way for us to enter into a relationship with God. You see, Jesus met God's standard of perfection and holiness for us. Though we couldn't be perfect and holy because of the sin in our lives, Jesus met God's standard of perfection and holiness for us. Jesus lived a perfect life. He was tempted as we are, yet he never sinned. Jesus died a perfect death. Jesus was buried in the tomb. Jesus rose again on the third day, victorious over sin and death for you and for me. We are able to receive forgiveness of our sins and enter into a relationship with God by God's grace through our faith in Christ Jesus. The great news of the gospel is true for us, just as it was for these believers years and years ago. The third truth that we see about holiness is we live holy lives by faith in Jesus. It's like great pastor Adrian Rogers once said, holiness is not the way to Christ. Christ is the way to holiness. And he's absolutely correct. We are right with God by faith in Jesus. Understand, faith in Jesus is the only way we enter into a relationship with God. Faith in Jesus is the only way we receive forgiveness of our sins. Faith in Jesus is the only way we are able to live holy lives, pure and pleasing to God. We are able to resist temptation. We are able to say no to sin. We are able to take all of God's escape routes out of every temptation we face every day all through the day by faith in Jesus. By faith in Jesus. We are able to live holy lives. And so we understand and realize the importance, the importance that we see in regards to this issue of holiness. We understand uh, these truths. These truths are clear throughout God's word. God's a holy God. He wants us to live holy lives and we are able to live holy lives by faith in Jesus. Now with these truths in mind, let's look at our passage this morning, beginning in verse three, and we're gonna do all we can to get through verse three this morning. And if we do, great. If we don't, we'll pick back up and continue next Sunday. Paul said, for this is God's will, your sanctification, that you keep away from sexual immorality. Paul said, for, let's start there. It's a great place to start. For is a connector word. For connected what Paul said in verses one and two to verses three and beyond. Paul, Silas, and Timothy's instructions were from God. Paul, Silas, and Timothy's instructions were the commands of God. And so we know we are able to live and please God as we obey the commands of God. Paul said, for this is God's will. 
God's will means God's desires, God's wants, God's wishes. As followers of Jesus Christ, we know this. Each one of us makes the decision every day, all through the day, to follow our will or God's will. We clearly make this decision all through the day. We're going to follow God's will or we're going to follow our will. God's way, our way. God's wants and wishes, our wants and wishes. Many people will ask, well, how can I know God's will? I'd love to follow it if I could find it. Well, if you want to know God's will, all you have to do is look into God's word because God's will is found in God's word. It's right here. God has told us what he wants for us in his word. Isn't that awesome? He's told us what he wants for us in his word. He's given us his Holy Spirit in us so that we can understand his will for us and so that we can do it. So he's told us what he wants for us in this word. God's will and desires should be our will and desires because God's will and desires are perfect because God is perfect. God always knows best. Amen? Say that with me out loud. God always knows best. Again, God always knows best. If you're taking notes, write that down. Real simple, something easy to remember, to be reminded of. God always knows best. This is one of the reasons why Jesus told us and taught us to pray, our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, your will be done in my life as it is in heaven. God, your will be done in my marriage as it is in heaven. God, your will be done in my family as it is in heaven. God, your will be done in my body as it is in heaven. God, your will be done in my thought life as it is in heaven. God, your will be done in my choices as it is in heaven. God, your will be done in my work life as it is in heaven. God, your will be done in my relationships and my friendships as it is in heaven. God, your will be done in my life life and every aspect of my life as it is in heaven because God your will is best your will is best and so we obey God's commands we live and please God as we obey God's commands because God's commands are found in God's word and God's word reveals God's will to us and we obey live and please God as we do the will of God so you start to see how this works together we live and please God by our faith in God as we obey the commands of God, which are in the word of God, because they reveal to us the will of God. For this is God's will, your sanctification. Sanctification means to be set apart from sin and set apart to the Savior Jesus. Sanctification is a big, long word, theological word, that encompasses our growth in holiness. Our spiritual growth process, our process of growing into maturity as followers of Jesus Christ, the process of God conforming us into the image of his son, our savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to understand something about this sanctification, your sanctification and my sanctification. God has sanctified us once for all. God has set us apart from sin and set us apart to the Savior Jesus by his grace through our faith in Christ Jesus. That's called positional sanctification. He has done that 
by his grace through our faith in Christ Jesus. We have been set apart from sin and set apart to the Savior in Christ Jesus. Now, God sanctifies us. He purifies us. He grows us. He conforms us day by day in the image of Jesus. He transforms us day by day, moment by moment, step by step, by the power of his Holy Spirit in us as we follow him by faith day by day, as we live and please him by pursuing and obeying him and by doing his will. He continues his sanctification work in us, being confident in this, who began a good work and you will carry it on the completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He's carrying on his good work in us. This is called progressive sanctification. And so we see how important this is. It is God's will for each of us to be set apart from sin. It is God's will for each of us to be set apart to the Savior. It is God's will for each of us to grow in our faith in Him day by day. It is God's will for each of us to live holy lives, pure and pleasing to our Father. It's God's will for us. And as we obey God's will, we reap God's blessings. So it's a win, win, win all the way around. He knows best. He's told us best. He's given us his Holy Spirit in us so that we can do his best. And as we do his best, which he's doing in and through us, all we got to do is surrender. We get all his blessings. Can't beat that. For this is God's will, your sanctification, that you keep away from sexual immorality. That you... Specifically referred to each one of the Thessalonian believers. That you refers to each one of us here this morning. So this is for each one of us. God speaking to you, God speaking to me. That you. Each one of us knows where we are in regards to this issue of holiness, in regards to our minds, in regards to our bodies. God speaking through his word, by his Holy Spirit, and he's saying that you. So this is for me. And this is for you. That you. Keep away from. Keep away from literally means stay away, abstain. It means put distance in between. Literally means put distance in between. Keep away from, that verb is in the present tense, which means that's a daily decision. So when he says that you keep away from, understand and realize that's talking to me. God's talking to me. And this is something I need to think about and I need to make a decision each day. It's a daily decision. It's in the present tense. Keep away from is in the middle voice, which means that we perform the action. It's not, perform, it's not passive. It's middle voice. We perform the action. We make the choice. We, we're to do this daily choice, this daily discipline. Every day, all through the day. That you keep away from. So as God continues sanctifying us, as God continues growing us in holiness and purity and our faith in Christ Jesus, as God continues to shape and mold and transform us in the image of Christ, as God continues carrying on his work in us, that the good work that he began in us at the moment of salvation, as God continues his work, we then are called, each one of us, I am called to join God in his work. And one of the ways I join God in his work, one of the ways you join God in his work is that we must keep away. We must stay away. We must abstain. We must put distance in between us 
and sexual immorality. It's God's will for us to keep away from sexual immorality. That's what Paul's saying here. Sexual immorality, original language is parnia. It means fornication. Illicit sexual activity and intercourse. We get our English word pornography from pornia. Sexual immorality. Sexual immorality is sin and it encompasses all sexual practices and activity outside God's will and design for sex. Sexual immorality encompasses all sexual practices and activity outside God's will and design for sex. Thankfully, God has told us his will for sex in his word. That's very helpful for you and me today. Praise God, he knows how much help we need. Trust me, he knows how much help I need. So he's made it clear. God's will for sex is right here in his word. So I want us to focus for just a few minutes on two points, the main two points of God's will for sex. Point number one, God is for sex. God is for sex. You can, you can breathe. You can, get, you can get loose. I know that some of you are as tight as I've ever seen you. I mean, it, and this place is going to go up quick if anybody tries to breathe. God is for sex. God created sex for different reasons, different purposes, all of which are great. Amen. Amen. Come on. Maybe we need to go back even further. God created sex for different purposes, purposes, all of which are great, as long as we stay within the loving guidelines of God's plan for sex. Genesis. Let's go backwards. Genesis chapter 1. Let's go. All the way back. Genesis chapter 1. Verse 26. I'm going to begin reading here. Genesis chapter 1. This is what God said. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth earth. Stay there in Genesis. We're going to go to uh, Genesis chapter 2 here in just a second. Uh, God, I said God created sex for different purposes. Here's one purpose. God created sex for procreation. God created sex uh, so that we can uh, have children. The way we are able to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth is through sex. And so we know God created sex for procreation. We also know God created sex 
for companionship. We see in Scripture, in the book of Genesis in particular, that God looked in the Garden of Eden and he saw that Adam was alone. He saw that Adam was lonely. You see, all the animals God created and that Adam named had companions. Adam didn't have a companion. He was all alone. He was lonely. And so God said, it's not good for man to be alone. And so we know God created Eve from Adam, brought Eve to Adam, thereby performing the very first wedding in the Garden of Eden. And God said in Genesis 2, uh, beginning in verse 23, and the man said, this one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Now we can read that and you can read that. And I want us to not go past this because really we need to read this with the proper reflection and inflection. We need to read this with the proper passion that this passion that passage deserves because remember the man said, God's telling us what Adam said. Remember Adam has been naming animal after animal after animal after animal after animal after animal. He's been alone. So how should this passage be read? Well, I think it should be read probably in this way. And the man said, this one at last! Woo! This one! At last, God, thank you! It's bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken out of man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh, both the man and his wife were naked, yet felt no shame. Sex bonds and unites a husband and wife together. Husband and wife become one flesh before the Lord, which is the height of companionship. But I also want you to know that God created sex for procreation. God created sex for companionship. But God created sex for our enjoyment. He created sex for our enjoyment. Sex is not just for having kids. God created sex for our enjoyment. Think about it. The first command God gave Adam and Eve was be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Hello! In other words, have fun! Enjoy yourselves. Enjoy sex with one another a lot. All right. Okay. 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 We're coming. We're we're getting there. We're getting there. Listen. You can't read. I challenge you to go home this week and read the Song of Solomon in the Old Testament and tell me God's not for sex. You can't do it. You can't do it. Paul went so far as to tell husbands and wives in the church in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, don't deprive or defraud one another of sex except for a period of time for prayer. And oh, by the way, keep that prayer time short. And as soon as it's over... As soon as it's over, come back together sexually. Why? So that you are not tempted towards sexual immorality. So that you don't give Satan an opportunity to tempt one another to fulfill your godly desires in ungodly ways. God created sex for procreation, for companionship, and for our enjoyment, our loving God. 
he did this for us. God is for sex. That's the first point in God's will for sex all throughout Scripture. God is for sex. Second point, sex is for marriage. Sex is for marriage. Sex is very personal. Sex is very powerful. And so God, being all-knowing and all-loving God that he is, set some boundaries for sex. God's boundaries for sex are best for us, and they are a blessing to us. They're a blessing to us. The boundary God set for sex is within marriage between a man and a woman, a husband and a wife. Marriage is husband and wife coming together as one flesh. We see that one flesh truth in Scripture. Marriage is a husband and wife coming together as one flesh before our Father God. God has made this boundary clear to us throughout his word. God's plan for marriage is based on a covenant, not a contract. A contract relationship is based on conditions, and it outlines how the contract is broken if one party or both parties fail to do their part, meet their obligations, or keep their promises. Uh, We enjoy a covenant relationship with God. A covenant relationship is based on a promise that cannot be broken. We have a covenant relationship with God. He is our God and we are his people by God's grace through our faith in Christ Jesus. Nothing or no one can break the covenant we have with God because Jesus purchased this covenant for us with the blood he shed for us on the cross of Calvary. And God has sealed us in this covenant by the presence and power of his Holy Spirit, which is the down payment on our inheritance of eternity with him. And so we see and understand that marriage, God's way, is based on a covenant relationship. So marriage, God's way, is for a man and a woman who have a relationship with God, a man and woman who have a personal relationship with God, by God's grace through their faith in Christ Jesus, to enter into a covenant marriage with God as the number one priority of their lives and marriage. God leads, they follow. God leads, we follow. So, when you look at God's will for sex, what is God saying? God is saying this, God wants us to enjoy all the sex we want in marriage. God wants husbands and wives to enjoy all the sex they want in marriage. David Platt, prominent pastor and author today, said this, there's not one instance in all of God's word where God advocates or celebrates sex outside of a marriage relationship between a husband and a wife. Sexual immorality is sin authored by Satan to lure us away from God's boundary and blessing for sex. Sexual immorality includes all sexual activity and practices outside of God's will, design, and boundary 
for sex. We obviously know this truth is under attack in our society today. It really goes without saying how much this truth is under attack in our society today. Many people believe, well, as long as people love one another, God's okay with them having sex with one another. Well, we know this isn't true. Well, how do you know this isn't true? Well, we know this isn't true because of all the prohibitions and warnings that God has put in his word about sex outside of his boundary of marriage. God wouldn't have even told us about sexual morality if this wasn't true. Many people also believe and say, why should we care about what others do with whoever they do it with in their relationships? Why should we care? Who are we to care about what others do with whoever they want to do it with in their relationships, in their own homes? We care because God cares. This isn't our boundary. This is God's boundary. This isn't our truth. This is God's truth. This isn't our word. This is God's word. We care because God cares. Listen, newsflash, we do not know more than God and we do not know better than God. God's word does not need to be updated, revised, or edited by us. It is the height of pride and arrogance for us to think we know better than God. To think we have progressed to the point in our society today that we are beyond these truths and we are beyond what God said in his word because we've progressed beyond what God has said. Who are we kidding? That is the height of pride and arrogance. God's truth is absolute truth for you and for me at all times. God knows best. And God's will for us is always best. I mean, we just amen and proclaim that. God's will is always best. God's will for sex is is best, always has been, and always will be. Is it a challenge for us to understand and to live out God's will for sex today? Yes, absolutely. But we see nonetheless that this is God's will for sex. God is for sex. Sex is for marriage. So why is it important for us to know God's will for sex? Why is it important that Paul taught God's will for sex. Why is it important for us to teach God's will for sex? Well, there's several reasons. Number one, sexual immorality was and is rampant. Sexual immorality was and is rampant. In Thessalonica, where these believers lived, like most of the cities in Paul's day, sexual immorality was rampant. It was the norm abuse, adultery, cohabitation, 
divorce, fornication, homosexuality, lust, pornography, premarital sex. It was all there and it was all normal. The false misreligions even went so far as to offer sex with temple prostitutes as part of the worship services of their false gods and idols. These pagan temples employed hundreds and thousands of prostitutes for folks to just come and enjoy. And it was okay. It was normal in the day. This was the culture and lifestyle the believers were saved out of in Thessalonica when they turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Paul, Silas, and Timothy obviously were a little bit concerned that these believers might be tempted to go back to their former way of life. And so... We know, Paul, Silas, and Timothy knew this. These believers knew this. We know this now as we're studying this word. Sexual immorality was a real temptation for the believers in Thessalonica. Sexual immorality is a real temptation for us today as followers of Jesus Christ. Sexual immorality is all around us. The temptations to give in to sexual morality. Everywhere we look, point, click, all around us. And Satan is having success. Not just outside the church. He's having success inside the church. The statistics that I could share with you would blow your mind in regards to some of these areas of sexual immorality within the church. Within those who claim the name of Jesus Christ. So we know this is, this is not just for those outside of the church. No, this is for us. That you, that you, each one of us, and so if God is a holy God and we know he is, and if he is wanting us to live holy lives, then we know that we must keep away from sexual immorality. It's important for us to know God's will. It's important for us to teach God's will regarding sex. But sexual immorality was and still is rampant today. Second reason is God's will is always best. God's will is always best. It's actually exciting to talk about God's will for sex. It's exciting to talk about God's will for sex. Why? Because it's best. It's best for you and for me, and for all of us. It's absolutely positively best. Here's the thought. If we don't teach God's will for sex, who will? Who will? I don't know about you, but I think we've spent long enough time allowing the world to teach about sex. And we see where that's gotten us. 
we can't seed this truth to the world and just say, Satan, it's yours, go ahead, because I just, it's so embarrassing, and I just don't know how to do it. I don't know how to say it. I don't know what to, I don't know how you lead into it. I don't, I don't know, I just don't know where to begin. You begin right here. You begin on your knees. You begin crying out to the Father. Give me your wisdom to share your word and your will for sex. Listen, I want you to understand. We teach God's will for sex in love, with gentleness and respect. We don't teach God's will for sex, or we don't teach God's truth in anger, belittling people, or putting people down, or acting as if we are somehow better than someone else because we're not doing what they're doing. Are you kidding me? We share God's will for sex in love out of brokenness and chillness and respect because so many have been taken captive by the temptations of sexual immorality. We must stand firm on our belief in God's will for sex. We must stand firm in our commitment to do and to obey God's will for sex. We must ask God to empower us to obey his will for sex. So I can tell you right now, apart from God's power, I'm not going to obey it. I don't have a shot. No chance. None. In God's power, I'm a victor. I'm an overcomer. I'm a conqueror. And so are you. So are you. So many of us are trying our best to fight this temptation in our strength, and we're losing. We're losing. I'm just here to share as your brother in Christ that victory's not coming. Apart from Jesus, we reap God's blessings as we obey God's will for sex in our marriages our friendships, and our lives. The third reason we share God's will for sex is God wants us to live in victory. He wants us to live in victory. I want to be clear about this. Please hear me. Please hear me. I want you to be as clear about this as anything that God said this morning to us. We don't teach God's will for sex to heap shame and guilt on others for the decisions they've made in the past. We don't teach God's will for sex to heap shame and guilt on people for the mistakes they've made in the past. We don't teach 
God's will for sex to ridicule or put people down for the sinful decisions they are making in the present. We teach God's will for sex to help everyone understand that change is possible for everyone by faith in Jesus. That's why we teach God's will for sex. Amen. Give the Lord a hand. We teach God's will for sex, and we teach it passionately, and we teach it faithfully, because we want to help people understand that change is possible for everyone in Christ Jesus. You see, Jesus provides us with forgiveness of the sins of sexual morality. Jesus provides us with freedom from the sins of sexual immorality. Jesus provides us with victory over the sins of sexual immorality. Jesus is the answer. Listen, it does not matter the form or the specificity of the sexual immorality. It does not matter if it's same-sex attraction in interaction, opposite-sex attraction in interaction, sexual abuse, adultery, cohabitation, lust, pornography, premarital sex. It doesn't matter the particular point of sexual immorality. When the Son, Jesus, sets us free, we're free indeed to live in the victory that is ours in Christ Jesus. And Jesus can free us from sexual immorality. Any and all forms of sexual immorality. So we understand and we rejoice today in, in this understanding. God convicts us of our sin because he loves us. He loves us. God convicts us of our sin because he wants us to confess our sins to him because he longs to forgive us, to restore us, to bless us, and use us again. And so we know that when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. He will forgive us and cleanse us and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now, here's how awesome our God is. When God forgives us of our sins, he remembers them no more. No more. He places them as far as the east is from the west. And so we know conviction is from God. Godly sorrow, which comes from conviction that brings repentance, is from God. But listen, shame and guilt is from Satan. If you confessed in the past and you've forsaken that sin, if it comes back up in your mind, that's from the pit of hell. You don't give it a second thought. Not a second thought. And so since God forgives us, we must forgive others who sin against us. And listen, since God forgives us, we must forgive ourselves. Within the family, within the family, brothers and sisters in Christ, I find more often than not, when it comes to this issue of sexual morality, God has forgiven us, but far too many of us have not forgiven ourselves. And we keep falling prey to temptations. We keep living in discouragement and defeat because we're continuing to listen 
to the tape recorder that the enemy keeps playing about our past when God has placed as far as the east is from the west. What Paul wanted these believers in Thessalonica to know is the same thing God wants us to know today, and that is simply this. Victory is ours today and every day by faith in Jesus. Let me ask you to bow in prayer. Our worship team is going to come and lead us in this time of invitation. And I want to...